Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been thinking about Christ in the chaos. Uh, Week one, I looked at how we can have purpose this year. Uh, Then last week, I looked at trust versus control. And as Jago mentioned, today I'm speaking on uh, why is being yourself a bad idea? And uh, that's quite a startling thing to say, isn't it? Uh, But before Christmas, I got this book by Bishop Graham Tomlin. And uh, it's called Why Being Yourself is a Bad Idea and Other Countercultural Notions. And I found it, I found it so helpful. I think it would uh, be helpful if you have faith or, or not. But why is being yourself a bad idea? Isn't being yourself our true north? But what, what Graham Tomlin says in the book is that the advice to, to be yourself... Uh, perhaps before a first date or a job interview, an important meeting, a presentation. The, the advice to, to be yourself is, is actually pretty confusing because uh, what if I see what's inside myself and I don't like what I see inside of myself? And, and what if other people don't like what they see too? Is it just a, a rejection of who I am? And when you think about it, the more and more that we take on this advice to be yourself, the more chaos we find ourselves in. Did you see this research recently from uh, the European Journal of Social Psychology that showed that those who practice meditation and mindfulness and so on, they're more, more likely to be narcissistic and spiritually superior? It turns out that those who, who try to empty themselves become at risk of becoming more full of themselves. Those who, who try to center themselves begin to think the world centers around them. And uh, of course, this is a, a danger for Christians as well, uh, with knowledge that puffs up and often thinly disguising insecurities. This isn't new. Uh, Martin Luther, he said that scripture describes man as so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical but even spiritual goods for his own purposes and in all things seeks only himself. And so even the the frames of reference that we have uh, for for who we are, they, they can feel pretty shaky and chaotic. So how do we triangulate who we are? Well, last weekend, it was a weekend commemorating Martin Luther's namesake, Martin Luther King. And in his final book, he wrote this, that the the richer we have become materially, the poorer we have become morally and spiritually. Western civilization is particularly vulnerable at this moment, for our material abundance has brought us neither peace of mind nor serenity of spirit. And he wrote rather prophetically about how our, how our devices uh, make us grow increasingly fatigued and anxious and nervous and dissatisfied. And recent research shows that the, the countries that are most materially well off are actually the least happy, not helping us know how we are and who we are. The formula is broken. But the good news is that we can make a change. We don't have to live with a fixed mindset. And Paul writes in our passage today in, in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. As we're honest about the, the sin that is inside of us, as we're honest about that to God and, and to one another, the, the, the light is the place of freedom. And that's why Paul writes in verse 14, he says, that is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
So rather than be curved in on ourselves, that's Martin Luther's definition of sin. We need to, to bask in the radiance of Jesus. But this doesn't happen automatically. In, in the same section of the book that I quoted from, from Dr. King, uh, he wrote this. One of the, the great liabilities of history is that all too many people fail to remain awake through great periods of, of social change. Every society has its protectors of the status quo and its fraternities of the indifferent, who are notorious for sleeping through revolutions. But today our very survival depends on our ability to stay awake, to adjust to new ideas, to remain vigilant, and to face the challenge of change. Do you see here that the echoes of, of what Paul says, to, to, to wake up, to, to wake up to the moment that we're in and to wake up to Jesus. Paul goes on in, in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, even this moment in history, even this moment in your life, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Such a, an interesting thing to say. And, and he talks about being sober, being awake, which is, 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 is why he talks about not being uh, drunk, not filling ourselves with these, these pleasures that numb us and dull us or, or even harden our hearts. You know, trying to, to numb ourselves from, from the outside world and, and also trying to, to fill the emptiness that we feel within ourselves. So how do we stay awake how do we stay alert and, and even soft-hearted? Because we're all facing battles, aren't we? We're facing global battles. We're also facing individual battles as well. And Dr. King, he, he knew that the days were evil. And he, he wrote the book that I've been quoting uh, out, of, out of JFK's assassination, out of the Vietnam War, and of, of course the, the struggles of the civil rights movement. And the title of this book that he wrote is Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? And at this moment in time that we find ourselves in, and this, this convulsion, this, this great upheaval, the question for each of us individually is where do we go from here? Chaos or community? We uh, learn lots about community in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5. Can I, I encourage you to, to delve into uh, these chapters this week, to mind the riches of them. But Paul, he, he, he writes about how together we grow in maturity, in, in unity, and in holiness. And this is what happens when we, when we stand in the light of Christ. Uh, we realize that, that we're made new. We become a, a new self, which is what we read about in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 1, Paul writes, Follow God's example, therefore. So we're, we're following Jesus like an apprentice, learning to, to be like Jesus. Um, but this is not something that we, we struggle with and that we toil with. It's, it's simply learning to live out of the identity that we already have, our new identity. Because Paul writes, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And, and living from this place, we are to, to verse 2, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So do you see that this is, this is about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus does? And, and the context in which we do that, the, the, the context in which we become who we already are, is community. But how are we going to do that in this time? Lockdowns have uh, revealed for us, just for some of us, just how lonely we are. And, and they've also revealed for some of us that, that given the opportunity, uh, we have the tendency to retreat and to withdraw, to, to be curved in on ourselves. Dr. Esau McCauley, he is the professor of New Testament studies at Wheaton College in the States, and he is the canon theologian at the Anglican Diocese of the Churches for the Sake of Others, uh, which is a wonderful name for the church, because that is, after all, uh, what the church is. And uh, recognizing that we're not able to meet in in larger groups at this time, he he wrote this in the New York Times. Uh, This does not seem like the stuff of legend. What did the church do in the year of our Lord 2020 when sickness swept our land? We met in smaller groups. We washed our hands and we prayed. Unglamorous as this is, it may be the shape of faithfulness in our time. The church remains the church, whether gathered or scattered. And it's the same for 2021, until it is safe for us to to meet in larger groups. We're going to meet in smaller groups and be the church in this way. And this is what the the church has always done, but it's even more important in the midst of a pandemic. We need each other now more than ever before. And so we're meeting in connect groups, which are uh, groups of about 10 to to 20 people, give or take. we, we meet together on Zoom, and if you're not part of a connect group, as Jago said, can I encourage you to join one? Uh, but then what I'd love to let you know about is that, that coming from this week, we're creating subgroups as part of connect groups, and we're calling them pods, uh, which are all about deeper friendship with Jesus and each other in two to fours through connect groups. So, so being the church together in smaller groups as, as two to four men or two to four women. And Jesus, he had, he had his 12 uh, friends and more, um, but he also had a few around him. He also had close one-to-one friendships. And these different sizes of groups have their different benefits. You can do different things in those different sizes. Uh, so you can do uh, com- community in connect groups better than you can do on a Sunday, particularly uh, the way that we're meeting at the moment. Um, and you can also go deeper in pods than you can as a whole connect group together. So uh, let's do this regularly uh, as the same pod for a term at a time. You're not going to need to prepare anything. There's not going to be any homework. Uh, We're not even having any leaders. We're just building friendship, building deeper friendship uh, with Jesus and with each other. And each time there's just going to be something to reflect on from from the teaching, what we're learning together as a church, uh, and also a couple of things to, to ask each other and then to pray for each other. And if you're in a pod that is one-to-one, uh, you can meet up socially distanced, of course, for a walk if you'd like to, walk in the snow, uh, walking li- quite literally with Jesus and each other. Or if it's bigger, you can, you can meet together on Zoom. And all we're asking is that uh, we each do this uh, together uh, once a week and up to an hour if we can. And you'll hear more from uh, your Connect Group leaders this week. And, and this is 
one way that we can, like Paul says in verse 17, uh, be not foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is such a key time for us to have discernment as the church. It's so similar to what Paul writes in verse 10 about knowing what pleases God when we step into the light. Paul writes in verse 18 too, to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this present continuous act. And not finding out who we are as, as we empty ourselves, but as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with his wisdom, filled with the one who knows us best. And the context for being filled with the Holy Spirit is community. And the purpose of being filled with the, with the Holy Spirit is for all of us, for all of us to build up each other as he enables each one of us to, to quietly and humbly serve each other. We've each got so much to, to learn from each other. And notice that this is sort of overflowing from our hearts. This is not obligation. This is not duty. But this is love. And it was when we know that we're loved, when we really know that we're loved by Jesus, that is, that is the Holy Spirit bubbling up within us with, with love for him and love for one another. And it's, it's this love that comes from Jesus and is for Jesus, which is why we, we read in, in verse 21, Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you don't know how to, to worship Christ at the moment, yes, do engage in, in sung worship at home, but whatever you do, submit to one another, for that is how we revere Christ. It's also how we end the cycle. It's also how we end the, the cycle of striving and, and of apathy, of, of discontent, of cynicism, of, of withdrawing and curving in on ourselves. This is how we end the chaos. Rather than just the, the dead end of being yourself, we submit to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, be yourself. Look after yourself. But do not just be yourself. Be part of the one body of Christ. We all want two things. We all want to be known, to be really known. And we all want to, to feel part of something bigger. And that's why we have pods. That's why we have connect groups. That's why we have Sundays. I've been watching The Chosen uh, which is a surprisingly good uh, Christian TV series. And it's amazing to see the closeness of, of friendships of Jesus with his disciples, the, the deep friendships that he has, the, the, the laughter, the fun, the tears, all of it. And, and together they were a team. They were a team who had said yes to following Jesus and doing so together. When um, Jesus meets his disciples, when he meets Peter and a few others uh, after the resurrection, he, 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 they're fishing and he goes up to them and he says, hey friends, it's, it's so informal. He, he wants to be that close to you and me as well. And if you, if you remember when, when Jesus first called the disciples and he called them into something bigger, he, he saw them fishing too. And they didn't have any fish. And he told them what to do. And they caught a huge number of fish. And the net broke. And the, the Greek word there is schismo. And we're all too aware at the moment that the, the danger of schisms and disunity or, or even just tearing away from each other. 
But after the resurrection, uh, Jesus' followers, they've experienced so much together. They've experienced so much together as friends, the highs and the lows, particularly the the tumultuous week of the resurrection and the crucifixion, the, the confusing time that that was. And at this time, Jesus, what he does is he tells them to do the same thing. He tells them to to lower the nets on the other side. But this time, the net doesn't break. And so what's different this time? Well, between the first calling and the second calling was the cross and the resurrection. And the church goes wrong when it, it rallies around other things. But as we, however different we are, as we all rally around this truth, we find unity. Because the the cross, it has the, the vertical beam of the relationship with God. But it also has the horizontal beam of the relationship with each other, reconciling us to one another. Each of us loved equally and each of us loved extravagantly. Paul writes in in chapter four about being tossed about back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by different messages. And amidst all the chaos and all the news, people, they are looking for an anchor. They are looking to secure themselves. And I'm yet to discover an anchor more secure, more steadfast, more unchanging than the cross of Christ. Sometimes, like Peter, we we forget that Jesus, he's given us a new identity. Sometimes, like Peter, we take our eyes off him and, and we get scared by the swirling waves and by the chaos. But when we unite around the risen Jesus who, who died for us, that we can each know personally, as we speak the truth in love to one another, we are strengthened both, both individually and as a whole. And we discover that that we too, we have these nets which can lift others up out of the waves too because that is what our nets are for. And then we are the church. Then we are the church being ourselves for the sake of others. And being the church is a very good idea.